Well, I'm super honored to uh, introduce Brian and Linda. I want you to know, as John said, that Celebrate Recovery is significant. Um, some of the greatest fruit, greatest testimonies, greatest miracles, greatest healings. Uh, we've seen marriages restored. We've seen lives changed. We, we've just seen God do so much through the 12 steps, which are really uh, patterned after the Beatitudes, which is Jesus' simple way of saying, this is what the good life is. This is what the kingdom is. And if you'll follow this path, it's a path of discipleship. That's what the 12 steps are. That's all it is. And it's one of the most important paths of discipleship because in our country it starts at the place of recognizing our own brokenness. There's a well-known author and, and uh, minister who says that when history looks back on America's contribution to Christianity, that the 12 steps will be our greatest contribution. And um, that's significant. Because the 12 steps were founded, they began by earnest believers in Christ who were seeking accountability and seeking help for their own brokenness. Now, the world kind of took it, and we have AA, and they, they talk about God and higher power, but, but its roots are uniquely Christian. And so we're honored today. I want you to welcome uh, Brian and Linda Derricott, who serve our CR community. Give them a big hand. Come on, guys. grateful believer in Jesus. I celebrate recovery from an addiction to pornography, suicidal depression, and rage. And my name is Brian. I'm glad to be here. This is how we roll. Good morning. My name is Linda. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus, and I came to celebrate recovery for betrayal of my marriage, and I'm glad I'm here. Okay, now the hard stuff. Um, looking in the crowd briefly, Linda and I finalized the script of what we were going to say yesterday afternoon, and everything was good. I was happy. I was going to be, you know, uh, all was well, and then uh, God talked to me late last night and again this morning and I have pencils in here now um, after Linda glanced at what I had etched she said uh, you know your older daughters I don't think they know that and I'm like well I don't care I have to say it, it doesn't matter and she's like well they're going to be in here you might want to tell them so I just talked to them before service, and they had to step out. But it's important that I share, so I will share. I crashed my car 
totaled it. And then they put me in the psych ward after because it was a deliberate crash. This was supposed to be a quick intro. Um, they'd be, been seeing me for years for PTSD and depression, and they had me psycho, psychoanalyzed after the, uh, I got out of the psych ward, and the VA said, yes, Brian, we agree with the analysis. You need counseling. But since we've seen you, we've seen a change. You seem lighter. So you're seeing someone now, we're fine with who that is, so stick with them. Who is it? I said CR. They're like, CR, what's CR? I said, oh. Huh. CR is Celebrate Recovery. Um, Celebrate Recovery is a Christ-centered 12th step recovery group for anyone struggling with the hurt, pain, or addiction of any kind. How many people go to CR because of addictions? One in three. One in three. Okay. Um, so most people think that it's an AA with a God spin on it, right? Well, it's, it's more than that. As you can see, uh, that's why I'm here. It is... So much more than um, AA with a God spin on it. Um, I'm not here to uh, downplay by any means AA or NAA or SA or any of the A's. Uh, what they do works, okay? What they do works, and it's worked for a lot of people, and it's got great success. I had a guy here on Tuesday night that told me that he had gotten great success through AA, the problem for him through AA was that the whole time he was what we call white-knuckling it through. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And then Celebrate Recovery got a hold of him, and God got a hold of him through Celebrate Recovery. And then he said, I don't want to drink. I don't want to drink. Um... I had been seeing all of the counselors I possibly could through the VA. And um, uh, they, there was nothing else they could do for me, honestly. Uh, they still want me to see him, and I do, because they tell me to. And Well, when the VA tells a soldier to do something, a retired soldier to do something, the soldier says, okay, yes, sir, you know. Um, but something in Celebrate Recovery... Uh, unlicensed, unprofessional, uh, unworldly, whole godly people get to work through that. Um, so that's the difference between the A's and the CR's. So there's your ACR um, alphabet, okay? <laughs> Any questions on that? <laughs> Okay, so uh, that's just a quick brief. Two uh, short story differences between uh, what the world has and, and what God has. And uh, just like many of you may ask, well, why do I need the Holy Spirit? 
you, it, it, does it make me a better person? Well, no, it doesn't make, having the Holy Spirit doesn't make you a better person. Having the Holy Spirit, having the Holy Spirit doesn't make me a better person. Having the Holy Spirit makes it easier for me to understand God. Using Celebrate Recovery makes it easier for me to understand how to get through recovery and how to let go of those hurts, habits, and hang-ups. So, we meet every Tuesday night. Dinner starts at 6. Meetings start at 7. We'd love to meet you. We have a family of believers that are in different steps of their recovery, and we're all doing life together. Jesus doesn't want us to walk alone. Jesus doesn't want us hidden in that shame of, or the embarrassment of the things that keep us down. And um, uh, uh, there's some heavy stuff going on in CR, but we try and keep it a little lighter-hearted uh, to to help ease ease that pain of the first step getting into it. And the, and the second and third steps are just wonderful. So if you're stuck, or if you're out of control in any area of your life, CR is here for you. We're called to live a life of abundance, and Celebrate Recovery can help you achieve it. So, uh, you may have noticed a carousel out front. Um, there's these papers here that uh, I don't see us going through many of these papers, but believe me, these papers have a lot of good, useful information here. Here's one called Definitions of Sobriety. Uh, what's it to be sober of food issues or anger or chemical dependence or financial issues or gambling? Oh my goodness, I don't think that alcohol is even on here. But guess what? I know that CR has worked for people with alcohol issues and drug dependence issues. Okay, so uh, I'll shut up now. I tend to talk too long when I'm super excited about something that really is cool. So I'll shut up. Well, we can see there's freedom and truth. Amen. Um, and truth we are. We laugh. We cry. We do life together for sure. So um, when I got involved with CR, I got an opportunity to be truthful about how deeply I was hurting. But I got to say it in a safe community where it was actually embraced by the women around me and not judged. It was the community and people who loved me the hugs that said so many words without actually saying any. And I realized it was because of this family that loved and walked with me that I began to heal. This is the place I found my hope. Um, okay, so just I wanted to go over a few stats with you. Also, we wanted to let you know that um, after service, there's going to be people from our team up here on the front. So if you have any prayer needs, any questions about CR, we will stay here all day if we need to, to speak with you and get your questions answered. Right? Until Nelson's buffeteria closes, because Linda loves that place. She's got to go. <laughs> um, Roger touched on our bake sale. Um, we would love to have you purchase something. As he mentioned, we are a self-supported ministry. So we have lots of fun goodies out there. Um, we do even have a square where you can take your credit card. We just need a $10 purchase in order to do that. So fill up on some sugar before you leave with your kids. Okay, so um, I wanted to give you some stats on since our last CR Sunday, which was two years ago, just a little bit about what's been happening 
around our ministry. Um, when COVID hit, um, it was the president had announced 10, 10 people or less. That was on a Tuesday, so we canceled last minute that day. The following week, we went straight into um, Facebook Live, and we were able to do Zoom open shares with a lot of headphones and guidelines in place, but we, we made it work thanks to our amazing team. Um, we got to participate in September in the Walk for Darkness, which is suicide prevention. Um, we will be doing that. We got invited back this September the 27th. This is an awesome one. We launched Celebration Place for the kiddos. That was in January. I like to call it pre-covery. Uh, get them while they're young, and then they don't end up being like, you know, us. So, pre-cover them. Uh, we just hosted Hope is Oxygen, with, uh, which also deals with suicide prevention. And we were able to give them an offering that night when they were here. Um, we recently moved into the sanctuary from the chapel. Since last year, Sunday, we have graduated 15 men's and women's either 12-step groups or journey continue groups. That is amazing. That is amazing. And these groups are a big deal. They meet every week for an hour and a half for about a year. It's, it's a really, really big commitment, but it's worth every minute. When I did it the first time, it shockingly changed my life for sure. Um, the uh, 12 steps, some churches uh, do more than we do, I think, but uh, some uh, uh, are, are surprised at how many 12-step groups come through Believer's Church, uh, and uh, it's just through the sign-ups. People come, and they want healing, and they find love here, and they find community, and they decide, hey, let's try it. So, And we have a lot of amazing leaders to do it. We do. We yes. do. Um, since May 1st, we've had over 4,000 views on our Google page and over 5,000 actions associated with it. Um, we have a blog, crtulsa.com, and that is just our CR here at Believer's Church. It's not like the big CR. Um, in the last two years, we have had 171,373 hits. And just last month alone, we had 15,334. So just to give you the top countries that are looking at our stuff, us, Hong Kong, Indonesia, Israel, Germany, Russia, China, Sweden, and Turkey. So we are touching the world with our CR. So if you get an opportunity, check out our blog. We have amazing people working on that as well. Um, so if you have um, ever volunteered in any aspect of our CR, for instance, like our dessert team, a Hold lot Hold on, of before she says this, uh, we have this thing called anonymity and confidentiality. confidentiality that we strictly adhere to at Celebrate Recovery. So after she asks you to stand up, if you don't feel like standing up, that's okay, okay? Because we know you're standing in your heart. Yes. Okay. But anyway, even the dessert team, a lot of people on the dessert team don't attend our CR. So if you've ever volunteered or served in our CR at any point since it began, please stand up. We'd like to honor you. Or stand in your heart. We honor you too. 
Did you know that all the staff, all of the staff members have gone through and or led their own twelve step group? This is CR Church. Yes. So we just have an amazing team of faithful volunteers that are making a difference in people's lives. We appreciate and honor and thank all of you. We thank Believers Church for. I always tell our ministry that we're their favorite because they treat us like we're their favorite. But oh, yeah. um, we just. We're just really honored to be a part of it. We thank you. Okay, now we've done the important, uh, super spiritual, fun, boring stuff. Now we're going to get into the nitty-gritty, okay? We've got a couple of testimonies mixed in with a cool, fun, uh, CR-sponsored video of, uh, what's what she called again? Hosanna Poetry. Yeah, but she's called... Spoken word. Spoken word. Okay. And so you're going to love it. So anyway, uh, before we ask our first testimony up, we'll pray for both testimonies as uh, is a CR custom to pray in the speaker. So, Lord, we just uh, give this day to you. And we thank you for the work that you've done in our marriage and family and what you've been able to Allow us to give back to others and their families and their uh, sobriety, if you will. And we're just so grateful for Bo and Paula that they were willing to uh, be open and raw about their uh, walk with uh, God through recovery. And that we just, we just give you the grace to uh, let them uh, speak with ease. And that, it, that, that we're just thankful for the day and for the future that you've given us and for the hope that you've given many and, and many more years to come. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now listen, uh, I, I just want to reiterate um, what Bo and Paula are going to share may not be a, what your younger, younger, youngers want to hear. So, so um, uh, you, now's the time to reconsider who you've got sitting in the audience with you if if because they're gonna it's gonna be real okay thanks I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I celebrate victory over drugs, shame, cancer, and financial debt. I'm currently addressing codependency. My name is Bo. Sixteen years ago, I didn't think I needed to celebrate recovery. I had what seemed to be a perfect childhood. I grew up in a small Tennessee town where I knew everyone and everyone knew me. We, we never locked our doors, and I never felt threatened. I said, yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and went to church every Sunday. I was saved at the age of 11 and preached my first sermon at 15. School and sports came easily. I learned at a young age that performing at a high level was a sure way to gain praise. My parents were believers and great encouragers. Having worked since he was eight years old, my father demonstrated a strong work ethic for me to emulate. My mother was the ultimate homemaker. 
She made my clothes and was a DIY mom before it was cool. While my father was a man of few words, you never had to guess what was on my mother's mind. My family's optimism is best exemplified by the grand event my mom would make out of serving mayonnaise sandwiches. Me and my sister thought they were a real treat. Little did we know the reason we were having mayonnaise sandwiches that day is because we didn't have any meat to put on the bread. I guess we weren't exactly rich, but I felt richly blessed. In my teens, I made an intentional decision to turn away from my perfect childhood. I spent the next 17 years running from God. I bought my first bag of marijuana in the church parking lot from one of the older kids from my youth group. After trying cocaine the first time, I decided I needed to be selling something that good. My involvement in the drug world continued to escalate, becoming a way of life. I never aspired to be a dealer. My goal was to sell enough drugs that I could use and share at no cost to me. Beneath my rational motivation, I think I simply enjoyed the popularity that came with pleasing other people. Because I was too paranoid, I refused a full-time drug mule income equal to $125,000 a year in today's economy that required making a weekly pickup at the Mexican border. At the height of my insanity, I looked outside my apartment and saw my building surrounded by a SWAT team. I had only one exit, so I set homemade booby traps just inside the only door. For two nights, I slept next to my toilet so I could immediately start flushing the cocaine and mushrooms when they have invaded. After two days and two nights, the SWAT team had still not stormed my apartment. There was a reason. You see, they only existed in my imagination. My paranoia had overtaken my reality. Later, when my paranoia pushed me close to a nervous breakdown, I was at what should have been my bottom. I turned to what I knew to be the truest parts of my life. First, I picked up the Living Bible and started reading. I don't know what I read, but I do know that it brought a sense of peace to my spirit. Next, I called my parents, and they drove four and a half hours to rescue me. I had to answer for money laundering, embezzlement, and burglary, but I still had not hit my bottom. All of those drug years, I prayed a pitiful prayer every night. God, don't give up on me. And he didn't. As a matter of fact, he miraculously delivered me from drug and alcohol abuse over 29 years ago at the age of 32. Since I was insane enough to think I was in control of my life, God made sure that, I, that my sobriety had nothing to do with me. It had everything to do with him. You see... I never said I quit. I was simply seeking God in the midst of my using. He recognized that my heart was turned toward him and honored that by showing me how much he loved me. That's the miracle of my deliverance. God decided that I was through, not me. Because of my deliverance, I became the one-step guy that never had a need for a recovery program. I spent 13 sober years before I found Celebrate Recovery. 
In the spring of 2005, my wife and daughter attended a Celebrate Recovery One Day seminar. Paula came home excited about the possibilities. With my victory over drugs, I thought the Lord may want to use me in helping those other people. (laughs) I finally recognized the Lord was speaking to me, but I didn't fully understand that I was one of those people. I was approaching Celebrate Recovery as an opportunity to serve, not as an avenue for my own recovery. Remember, I didn't need recovery. When I began my first CR step study in September of 2005, I immediately noticed the anointed, probing nature of the workbook questions. I quickly took note of variations of perfectionism and codependency throughout my life. I recognized that much of my Christian performance was directed at fixing the problems of other people. That was the first time that I understood the difference between Christian servanthood versus codependency. I have learned to ask myself three qualifying questions. Is this decision healthy for me? Is this decision healthy for the other person? And who is glorified by this decision, me or God? That usually keeps me on the right track. As I continued to work the steps, God continued to peel off one layer after another. In particular, step five made an eternal impact on my life. I had been uncomfortably transparent in listing my personal inventory as a part of step four, but I was petrified about doing step five, which is we admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Remember, I had deliverance and I had forgiveness. That is really all I wanted. I was married once before I met Paula. It was during that marriage that I was delivered from drugs and alcohol and returned to my walk with the Lord. Within the first year of returning to the Lord, my first wife had an affair with my best friend, who was also my pastor. Even then... My first reaction was to help the two of them fix their problem. I have since learned that I cannot fix other people. I can't even point others toward the right path unless they are willing. I was surrounded by a loving church that had no idea what to say or what to do. Only God understood my situation, so I pressed into him. This developed into the strongest spiritual season of my life. I continued to grow in the Lord. However, I had grown to believe that I had somehow proven myself worthy. After all, Satan had attacked the covenant of my first marriage. He had attacked me through the trustful, mentoring relationship of my best friend and pastor. And I had prevailed. As it is written in the 11th chapter of Proverbs, pride comes before a fall. When I fell, I fell hard. Ironically, my worst failure as a Christian had a common thread with my recent victory. As a prideful, single Christian man, I was unfaithful to the Lord by way of an improper relationship with a young woman. During this two-month period of insanity, I was conned out of thousands of dollars and had been unfaithful to the Lord in the same way that my first wife had been unfaithful to me. I was devastated. I was ashamed. 
Once again, I had become my own worst enemy. I repented and asked for forgiveness. The Lord was faithful. Few people knew anything about this sin episode of my life. I kept it a secret. I had my forgiveness. I thought that was all I needed. Back to my step-study work. In focusing on the confession to another human being as the part of step five, the words of James 5.16 truly came alive to me. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. <laughs> Before CR, I could not have shared this story with you. I was too ashamed. Sure, God had forgiven me, but that nightmare of sexual sin continued to have a lasting, shameful effect on my life, only because it was kept secret. Because of the truth of James 5.16, Satan no longer has the power of fear over me. It's not that I don't care what you think. I just care more about receiving the fullness of God's blessings. My Celebrate Recovery experience has changed the way that I understand all my relationships. I am, more, I am much more aware of the fine line that separates codependency from Christian servanthood. I understand that anything short of transparency limits my relationship with God's Holy Spirit. I now know that I can strive for excellence without expecting to attain perfection. During the course of my recovery journey, there was one concept that I just couldn't buy into during the first few years in recovery, and it was right out of principle one. I couldn't admit that I was powerless. I couldn't resolve what seemed to be a conflict between admitting my powerlessness versus the power of Jesus Christ that lived within me. It seemed like a statement contrary to my statement of faith. That all changed in December of 2011 when I was diagnosed with squamous cell carcinoma, cancer in my mouth. You wondered why I talked like that. The beginning of my breakthrough was when I stood before my church and declared, no matter if I live or if I die, it doesn't change who God is. What ensued was a 14-hour surgery that involved being cut from under my ear and along up through my lip, having my jawbone sawed in two and my face folded open in order to remove the floor of my mouth and a third of my tongue. My tongue was rebuilt from an artery and tissue from my arm, and that was corrected by tissue from my leg. When I woke up in the recovery room with at least seven tubes running into and out of my body, unable to clearly think due to the lingering effect of the anesthesia, I was scared. I was alone. I've never in my life felt so helpless, so frightened, so powerless. I couldn't talk. I couldn't write. Where was Paula? Why wouldn't they at least let her come in and hold my hand? But it was that one moment in recovery that reset in the recovery room that reset my understanding of God's power in my powerlessness. That moment is my biggest reminder that I cannot control the things that happen in my life. 
but I can choose to rely on Holy Spirit for strength, comfort, and healing. God's Holy Spirit provided all of this and more. Because of my cancer experience, I have had the opportunity to receive God's love in ways that most people never understand. I consider this journey and the lessons I learned to be one of my greatest blessings. It has validated what was already my life first, James 1, 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Coming to an understanding that these principles are not limited to my hurts, habits, and hang-ups has served me well over the past several years. So in the summer of 2016, when I was diagnosed with cancer in this eyeball, I never experienced fear. I quickly admitted my powerlessness over whether or not I would go blind in that eye. I was actually considering the cool things I could do with a fake eyeball. <laughs> Like having an orange eyeball for Tennessee game day. <laughs> I have a friend that actually has one. <laughs> At the same time, I embraced the magnitude of God's power in my life. Within five days of that diagnosis, I was miraculously healed. <laughs> <laughs> I sometimes reflect on my two uniquely different cancer journeys and how they fit into my life of recovery. The miraculous healing compares to the way God delivered me from drugs and alcohol. However, the original journey of surgery and radiation is more like the healing work Holy Spirit does during a step study. If you're new to recovery, all this 12-step talk may not make complete sense. After all, it only took me six years to understand step one. <laughs> I have worked through at least eight step studies. During that time, I have successfully applied these principles to a multitude of character flaws, sins, and broken relationships. A couple other monumental victories include getting off addictive prescription sleeping pills and paying off $63,000 to become debt-free. Please know, this is not an easy journey. There have been times when my amends did not result in reconciliation, where my forgiveness did not bring repentance from the other party. Even worse, there are times that I ignore the right decision in order to avoid the pain I know the right path requires. Currently, Holy Spirit is calling me out of enabling to offer forgiveness instead of seeking justice. I have learned to live out these steps in my everyday walk while I have never loved anyone more than I love my wife. Loving Paula with a recovery mindset helps me to love her better. Celebrate Recovery really has had very little to do with my sobriety from substance abuse. But living out the truths of these steps, applying what I have learned to my Christian walk, has made me a better husband, a better father and grandfather, a better friend. More importantly, the biblical truths I've learned through Celebrate Recovery have made me a better follower of Christ. 
I didn't need Celebrate Recovery 16 years ago. Today, you couldn't prevent me from celebrating my recovery. Thank you. courage, fearless, bold, audacious, recklessly daring, valiant, lion-hearted, and grace is the greatest brave. This doesn't sound like me most days. In fact, on any given day, sometimes I feel just barely saved. I get up and life is a war, a battlefield of blazing swords, swiftly swerving through the sultry air. Nothing that comes my way seems fair. And at the end of the day, the last thing I want to give is grace. It would take everything out of me, and I don't have it in me. These battles raging against me look like loved ones constantly hurting me, throwing words of hurt at me, knowing what they do to me, like a sword of heartbreak constantly stabbing me. These battles look like people holding against me things that I used to be, refusing to forgive me, though I know I've said I'm sorry. These battles look like people persistently trying to persuade me that I'm failing, consistently trying to tear down all that I've achieved, one day they say this, but one day they say that. I can't tell anymore who's being real with me. These battles look like gossip. These battles look like rumors. These battles look like enemies and accusers. But they also look like my family. They look like my best friends. They look like my church. They look like the ones I love the most. And this is why it hurts so much as this battle never seems to end. And I get why they say that grace is the greatest brave because giving grace doesn't come easily. It doesn't feel natural. It is taking every gut and every muscle out of me to give it, to show courage, to be fearless, bold, audacious, recklessly daring, valiant, lion-hearted is it even possible to do it it is and jesus proved it i remember what he did when i was the one warring against him when i was the one throwing swords when i was the one living for myself and worshiping the world i used to do things to him that people used to do to me i would tell him i loved him promise things to him and then i'd break those vows repeatedly i'd represent him when i wanted then turn my back when i felt it was warranted and i took and i took and i took from him and then blamed him if he didn't give me the next thing i demanded i lied to him i cursed at him i made fun of him and yet all his grace he still gave it he was courageous enough to take it all our disgustingness and carry it onto a cross he died with it the ultimate form of bravery he was it he gave us a second chance even though we didn't deserve it for no matter how hurtful the world was being he believed we were still worth it he says my grace sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness and that could not be more true i am weak i am unworthy i don't want to forgive or love anyone who has hurt me but his grace is enough for all of me and when i pass that grace on it is him being made strong inside of me i can be brave because jesus christ was brave and i sure am glad that someone once thought to give me grace he takes our weak arms 
and give them muscles far beyond us. He takes our frail lives and makes heroes out of us. He takes our dirt and makes a garden out of us. And with all that he has given us, with how much he has equipped us, he says, I geared you up. Now you go and be courageous. We don't get the luxury of looking like Jesus and holding on to our hurts and our hate. We don't get to say that we follow Jesus and then hoard to ourselves what he so freely gave. We don't get to condemn a world that Jesus died to save. He says, come be brave. I did not come to save you of all your sins so that you could just stay the same. Grace restores broken families. Grace rebuilds shattered relationships relationships grace changes mindsets but grace doesn't just happen someone has to be brave enough to give it so flex your brave show courage be fearless bold audacious recklessly daring valiant lion-hearted and don't let the world take your brave away look to jesus the king of the courageous for in the battle of pain evil and chaos the weapon he fought with with grace. Am I on? I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ. I celebrate victory in the areas of substance abuse, a prodigal lifestyle of living, and domestic violence. I am still currently addressing codependency and healthy boundary issues in my life, and my name is Paula. My younger brother and I were adopted from separate Native American tribes as very young children. Growing up, we were inseparable. I became like a little mother to him, reading his bedtime stories and giving him special attention throughout his childhood. My family would have described ourselves as the all-American family, but we were behaving in dysfunctional ways, although that wasn't a word we even knew the meaning of back then. It seemed the goal was to portray an image of a loving, perfect family. Going to church was more about dressing up in the best clothes and smiling at all the right times for the church people to admire. I vaguely remember enjoying church, but it seemed it was just something we did each week, like going to the grocery store. Our mom quit taking us to church the summer before I entered seventh grade, which was also the summer I was saved. But we never opened a Bible in our home or said a prayer, and this girl slipped through the cracks and eventually drifted far away from God. Even our furniture was just for looks. Except for the kitchen chairs, we were never allowed to sit on any of our furniture, our chairs, or even the bed. Nap time meant sleeping on the floor. The domineering spirit of our mother was overpowering. Trying to please her was my way of escaping her anger. She was never the mom who got down in the floor to play with us or even go outside with us. Instead, she would focus on something to criticize about my appearance or behavior. As a young child, I never understood why she was always so angry with me. And as an adopted child, it created a layer of rejection early in my life. 
I was beginning to learn how to block my pain by isolating myself. My bedroom became my best friend. Some nights I would simply cry myself to sleep, but very quietly so she wouldn't get mad. Isolating became my first coping mechanism. My little brother began drinking around the age of 12. Unfortunately, he had been born with fetal alcohol syndrome. And although my mom was distant with me, she was consistent in covering up for his drinking throughout his lifetime, even up until his death in 2012. It was a family rule we were not to talk about our problems outside the home. I grew up thinking I must please others to avoid rejection and to receive what felt like love, dysfunction on display at its finest. Again, internally, something new was going on. I was keeping secrets locked up at all costs. I had become a human vault. Any self-esteem I did seem to have was tied to helping others. I was growing up thinking I really didn't matter to anyone and I must please others in order to receive any feelings of self-worth. There was no one speaking into my life as a teen. At times in my life, I even compromised my own values and integrity to avoid rejection or to please someone else. What I thought would bring me value only took me into bondage. I began looking for love and acceptance wherever I could find it. So when my best friend and I were invited to a party, the purity and innocence of two 16-year-old girls' lives were, ever, were forever changed that night. Several college guys had been spiking our drinks and then raped both of us there. She and I were never the same. <clears throat> and sadly, neither was our friendship. We never spoke of the rape, and I never told anyone. Another kept secret. <laughs> and so much pain locked away into the vault. My old coping mechanism, isolation, came back into play. And now escape and isolation became my two best friends. But they also sent me down a path of loneliness and shame. I moved out of my parents' home as soon as I turned 18, eager to escape my mother's verbal and emotional abuse. And I began living for the weekend. I would also bounce from one relationship to another, trying to feel loved. Looking back, I know I was simply abusing myself. Then I met Mr. Wonderful. No, not Kevin O'Leary. And I knew I was in love. For two years, this relationship made me feel safe and led to conversations of marriage. But when we discovered I was pregnant, he immediately made an appointment for me to terminate the pregnancy. He convinced me there was not a better option for us, and I was naive enough to think I didn't have a choice or a voice in the matter, and it was never discussed. Once again, another secret into the vault. Our relationship slowly fell apart after that event. I did finally tell someone about this 29 years later at a Celebrate Recovery Summit in 2006. I shared it with my then friend who became my incredible and valuable sponsor. James 5.16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another 
so that you may be healed. This verse truly came alive to me in that moment, and she became Jesus with skin on. There was so much compassion in her eyes when I shared this deepest and darkest secret that I carried for so long, and I thought would possibly alienate her from my life. But no, God brought tremendous healing into my life from that confession, and she was my sponsor for 13 years and is still a trusted friend. I can honestly say this is the biggest regret of my life, but I am beyond grateful for God's mercy, his grace, forgiveness, and love that he drenched me in after confessing and repenting. Back to my story. Continuing to look for love and acceptance, at 23, I met and married an abusive man. His love was a familiar kind of love that I had learned from my mom. Sudden outbursts of anger, a sharp tongue, and critical of everything I just said or did. But then with a smile, turn around and say, I love you. I kept thinking if I only tried hard enough, I could change him. I had learned that from my family of origin as well always encouraging me to talk to my brother and get him to stop drinking or talk to my dad if they were in the middle of angry arguments. That was the beginning stages of codependency in my life. The abuse continued along with two affairs he conveniently allowed me to find out about, and the abuse would escalate when he used steroids or other drugs. Most people do understand that the physical scars heal over time but the emotional scars can last for many years or a lifetime if we don't seek healing. He would routinely threaten to take the kids and say I would never see them again if I ever left him. This threat alone would keep me in this vicious cycle. One day while I was washing the dishes, he walked into the room and told me to turn around. I did, and he was pointing a loaded gun at my head and just smiling. He was waiting to see the fear on my face. By this point in the marriage, I was so depressed and wanted out of it, and even out of life, I told him to go ahead and pull the trigger and put me out of my misery. He just kept smiling and walked out of the room. That marriage was a dark journey of physical, verbal, sexual, and emotional abuse. I not only tried to escape by leaving several times, but also by way of attempted suicide. Because the depression, the depression was just so hard to bear. But divine intervention took over. God wasn't having it. He is the giver and taker of life. Even in the darkness, God had been protecting my life. Proverbs 9:11. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years of life shall be increased. After finally being confronted by a compassionate friend who had suspicions about abuse, I finally came clean and told her the truth. I began the next chapter of my life as a single mom of two young children. After starting a new job, God used this new company to call me back into relationship with him. They even had morning devotionals Monday through Friday. I finally turned from chasing after the things of the world and ran back into the arms of Jesus. 
He fulfilled what I had so desperately longed for all those years. I was challenged by my boss to read my Bible from cover to cover, and my life began to change in a matter of days and weeks. I knew in my heart I would never turn back. The presence of Jesus began filling the huge void that I had been trying to fill with everything else and everyone else. The substances, the approval of others, the love I had been longing for, Jesus was it for me. I gave him all my dirty sins, and I knew I had been cleansed. I must have cried like this for what seemed like months. I poured out my past through my tears just like the sinful woman in Luke chapter 7. I had a lot to pour out. Luke 7, 47 through 48, she has been forgiven of all her many sins. This is why she has shown me, shown me such extravagant love. Then Jesus said to the woman at his feet, all your sins are forgiven. And God led me back onto a path of purity with him. I took a stand and said, I will never love another man unless he is my husband. I experienced the passion of God in more ways than I ever dreamed possible, and I called him my husband. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated, for your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. So what does God do? After many years of being a single mom and falling so in love with Jesus, he sent me an earthly husband all the way from Tennessee. Can you guess who that is? Almost every day, Bo exhibits love, patience, and unconditional forgiveness towards me, which I am so much in need of. Shortly thereafter, our journey with CR began in Oklahoma City. I attended a training here in Tulsa and went back home to tell Bo, this CR thing is the real deal. But I thought since God had delivered me from my addictions, I didn't need a recovery program. Ha ha. I thought I was just going to volunteer in a ministry and help all those other people who were still hurting. But God knew better. He always does. Working through my first step study helped me recognize some deeply rooted issues. Although God had removed the outward behaviors of smoking, substance abuse, and sexual impurity, I still had emotional baggage to unpack. Step two says we came to believe a power greater than our ourselves could restore us to sanity. I didn't even realize I needed sanity in my life. I was a Christian. Why wasn't that enough? But even as a Christian, the lines were still blurred for me with old patterns of behavior. I would often focus on the hurts of others rather than addressing my own. Or I would say, I don't want to talk about it, or I'll deal with it tomorrow. I still reverted to isolating, and I believed if it weren't discussed, the problem might just go away. How insane is that? And you can ask Bo. He will not only agree, but may share a few stories. Any form of conflict tended to have an emotional attachment to my mother's controlling nature. God showed me then, and even still today when I am triggered, how words from my childhood and those memories will cause me to react in a negative manner. He is progressively helping me to break those chains. I am constantly trying to communicate in a healthier way with others. 
Most recently, I have been trying to work on boundaries in my life as well. I need to stay in my own lane, and I am asking God to clarify boundaries for me. I am working on submitting myself to the process and working with God to change me because I know I cannot change anyone else or other circumstances such as the past or what the day may hold. As my new sponsor keeps telling me, become a student of boundaries, I intend to take her advice. I think we can all agree God is always in the business of restoration. While giving my testimony in Oklahoma City, a Native American songwriter sang an original song that touched my heart. When we visited afterwards, he said he might know someone who could connect me with my biological family if I was interested. Long story short, through this connection, God did unite me with not only my birth mother, but also three biological sisters, four brothers, and tons of aunts, uncles, cousins, and a native heritage rich in history. I have been deeply blessed by my birth mom's relationship in my life. She was gentle, kind, compassionate, and extremely humble. She's gone to be with her Savior now, but we shared ten beautiful years together. By continuing to work steps 10 through 12, becoming a sponsor or accountability partner or finding other ways to serve has has helped me to understand Matthew 10:8 from the Passion Translation. Freely you have received the power of the kingdom, so freely release it to others. Isn't that a beautiful verse? We can never outgive what God has done for us. And we are here to walk beside others as they are set free through this beautiful ministry. If you have questions today, please find someone with a hanging name tag, and we will gladly help you with information for your own recovery journey. I didn't think I needed Celebrate Recovery 16 years ago, but today you cannot keep me from celebrating my recovery and telling everyone about it. Thank you for letting me share. Bo and Paula for sharing beautiful testimonies. Um, CR is just an incredible ministry. Matt and I have been able to be a part of it for probably three and a half years now, and it's been life-changing. So to close the service out, we are going to um, sing this song that we wrote specifically for CR. And as we sing it, I just want all of us to consider and to ask the Lord if he's calling us into more freedom. And if there's areas of our hearts that he wants to address and to fix. Um, he's the only one who can do that. So feel free to sit or stand, whatever you want to do as we play this song. Thank you. 
every CR by saying the serenity prayer, and we're going to pray that together right now. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be pleased with the happiness of this life and supremely happy with you forever and ever. Amen.
Thank you guys for coming. We're going to have some people at the front to pray if you'd like to uh, receive prayer.